Join Greenbook at the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange Conference Series. IIEX is your global hub for connections, inspiration, and innovative solutions in market research. Visit greenbook.org events to learn more about events in Asia, the Americas, and Europe. Use the code PODCAST for 20% off general admission on all upcoming events. Hello, everybody. This is Lenny Murphy, and welcome to the Green Book Podcast. I am sure glad that you have chosen to spend some of your time with us. So thank you. And today we have, it's always a special guest, always a special guest here on the Green Book Podcast. But today is special because there's someone that I've gotten to know pretty well over the past year and a half, and you'll get context on that during our call. He's a great guy, and we're doing some cool stuff, and I think you're going to want to hear about it. So welcome, Julian Daly, founder and CEO of Savio. Thank you very much for having me, Lenny. Very great to be on your podcast, to meet your wonderful audience. And for the audience, right? We have a global audience, but for our Americans, you know, it's always a pleasure to hear such a great cultured British accent. It just makes everything sound better. It's like Shakespeare. Yep. You've got Hugh Grant on today. <laughs> yeah, closer than many people might know. But yeah, we'll, we'll stop blowing smoke, although it's, it's certainly fun. So, Julian, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about you and a little bit about what we're cooking up with Savio, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. Well, I started my uh, career a long way back in finance originally, worked for the big motor company Ford, the big Sainsbury's supermarket, and then made my way through consulting and eventually got into research where I um, helped found Savanta. It's a UK market research agency, which is expanding all over the world. And it was there really managing the consumer team that we started to see that we were kind of running out of talent and uh, it was putting the brakes on growth. It was making it harder to staff jobs and it was putting a lot of pressure on the team. And I thought to myself, where's the shop? How can we find the people that we need? And everywhere else seemed to have one, whether it was in design or it was in legal, dev work, etc. But but not in market research. So I bid farewell to Savanta and I said, I'm going to set out on this mission to really build a kind of a flexible working platform that would be really useful to me. And I'm sure my problem wasn't just mine. And lo and behold, I went around the internet and asked the people who I thought would know the most, Green Book, has this been made? Is there one out there? Am I joining anyone who's also on the same mission? And you guys said, well, we made one earlier. And that's when the join really began. And it was from there that we took on Savio and began a path of updating it and upgrading it and have now finally brought it back to the market. So... (laughs) For our audience, uh, kind of full transparency, and as you hinted at, yes, we at Greenbook saw the same opportunity a few years ago, started building the uh, a platform to help enable that, a gig platform as it was positioned for the research industry. And that's cool and interesting, and we can talk about Savio some, but I think what's more interesting for our audience is this idea of what we both envision, that there is a need for agility and workforce 
in the industry. And this is pre-pandemic that those thoughts were coming up. And where we are today and what the future of work looks like overall. Because that's really what this is about. It's kind of future-proofing the industry and adapting to new thinking, new approaches, new needs from a worker standpoint as well. And that's really cool and interesting stuff. So let's step back for a minute. Because I think your perspective, particularly coming from finance and then you know being inside Savanta, tell us a little bit about your thinking about those changes and what that means for the future. Yeah, I mean, it's a big topic. So we'll try and simplify it. But you mentioned the pandemic. And in many ways, the pandemic gave rise to new things. But in other ways, it accelerated things that were already happening. You know, businesses have always kind of tried to maximize their flexibility, reduce their overheads, trying to be nimble and agile. And that's something which has always been there because technology has sped things up and it's made, you know, more things possible quicker. And businesses ultimately in this sector have to respond to their customers and their customers' customers. And a lot of research is amongst consumers. It's also B2B, obviously, but a lot of it is amongst consumers. And a huge trend in the consumer landscape has been you know, the rise of e-commerce and you know, the decline of retail, rise of less planned behaviors and more volatile markets that, that change you know, more quickly. And that's led right the way through the chain to people having to make decisions quicker, change direction quicker, respond quicker. And this has put pressure on businesses which had to make very long-term bets on who to hire, what to sell, how to do things. And as that pressure has built up, parts of that market for market research have chosen to use software, for example, as a way to be more nimble, to take on some of the work themselves because they can get things done more quickly, they've got more control. And I think this has then you know, rippled all, all the way through to you know, agency land, where in many ways agencies have had to become more flexible, have had to have access to a greater pool of on-demand resources because they just don't know what their clients are going to ask them for next. And in many ways, they're also competing against these instantaneous software solutions, which means that they're being asked to run a lot faster and sometimes at lower prices. And that's certainly what we felt in Savanta, that if you thought about your customers' kind of total wallet, all of their research occasions, some of them were now going to software whereas before they weren't. And that then introduced a new competitive dynamic, which meant that we were often struggling to keep up. And that's in many ways why you need a flexible talent pool, because you're really keeping up to speed with the entire chain that's being motivated by consumers that are moving faster and more unpredictably. And that's something which, on the face of it, feels like a threat. It feels like a kind of an acceleration, an increase in pressure. But it's also a liberation in many ways because 
those very stable environments where people made very long-term predictions, very long-term plans, very long-term investments, they were really all about fixed rates of return, if you like. And for employees, you know, fixed rates of return are good as long as those rates of return are healthy. And what we're seeing now, obviously, with very high inflation and, you know, often sluggish wage growth and lots of you know, pressure on household income, etc., that they sometimes need to turn up the volume. And what we're seeing also with, with younger generations coming into the sector, that unlike, you know, people of my age, let's say, and typically the people who are in kind of upper management in more traditional research agency settings, they're having children later, they're buying houses later, and they're coming into the market, into the workplace with much more debt. So as a first mission, they are looking to pursue a higher risk, higher reward form of employment so that they can get onto those things that were you know, much more seamless for people of an older age who bought houses, had children much younger and weren't saddled with as much debt. So that kind of fluidity and sort of push towards flexibility and more short-term behaviours actually can be quite attractive and quite useful for certainly younger people who don't want to lock themselves into a never-ending contract where they're not saving and actually their wages aren't even covering the rate of inflation. So it gives them another option and access to work with something, you know, missing. You know, certainly if you couldn't find the shop for flexible researchers, uh, you couldn't find it as a researcher either. So I'm very much hoping that Savio is both a solution for you know, buyers of talent that want to buy more flexibly and also a solution for people that want to work in the sector but also want to work more flexibly. And that is you know, a good common denominator where there isn't an antagonistic relationship between the buyers and the sellers. Actually, they both want the same thing, which is to be able to work more flexibly because there are different sorts of rewards for doing so. And what we find generally is that it's the more progressive or the audiences that are more embracing of the opportunity of flexibility that find themselves on Savio. And whatever we might think of the downsides of flexibility, these people see more upsides. And so when they come together, they actually have a great time. And that's why they are kind of coming towards Savio as a solution. But it's not to say that the other ways of working are bad. It's just that it's about you know, what works for you. So one of the interesting points I think you, you kind of hinted at, but it goes back to the genesis of the, you know, I think our, our mutual thinking on this was as the industry became more technology driven, and as tech companies emerged more and more as key drivers, there's also financial considerations for them. You know, the a SaaS business model by design doesn't have a strong service capability, right? Kind of the general rule of thumb is 80% of the revenue needs to be SaaS-based, something you know, less than 20% should be service-driven. So that's a real conundrum for those in an industry that you cannot disconnect a service need from. You know, at least not yet. Right? We'll, we'll see. I, there's a lot of interesting recent developments with chat, chat GPT that think, wow, well, okay, that may actually replace some, uh, some, cap- some functions of humans, but <laughs> we're not quite there yet. But the point is that, you know, I love how you phrased it. This is not a threat. It's simply an evolutionary component. And in my mind, 
this idea of realigning human-driven service with technology is simply an evolution to kind of right-size and find the balance. It's not a replacement. It's just rethinking where those pieces fit and how they fit. And that's either going to be done organically by those companies that are trying to work through those things. And we, we both know that there's you know large technology companies in the sector that have struggled with that for years, but they recognize it and they keep throwing resources to try and figure out that model. Or there's enabling technologies that are third-party solutions that, as you mentioned, exist in almost every other sector to try and tackle that problem. And I think that it's it's an important consideration for everything that you said as far as the dynamics of just cultural change and you know economics, et cetera, et cetera, that we as an industry need to start recognizing that we have to find equilibrium in this process of delivering the human-driven service components. And that's you know everything you can imagine from very high-end consulting and thinking and strategic direction to there's still a need for people to code or to program or to you know run cross tabs, right? I mean, there's still opportunities for those kind of manual processes because that's simply where the world is and where it's going to go, right? Would you agree? I think so, yeah. The, the human component can never really be removed. I think because of the nature of research and its relationship with insight, I think it's different to data, which can, I think, be fully automated. You know, many big platforms that people use all the time are fully automated. You know, your Google Analytics, you know, stock trading data, etc. These are kind of fully automated inputs, I suppose, to decisions, to business processes. But the relationship that research has to insight is much more contextual. And the opportunity that research can give organizations is also linked to strategy and differentiation and opportunities in the marketplace, which are really creative discoveries. And that requirement for creativity in all aspects of the process, whether it's how you come up with ideas or how you test them or how you iterate them or how you even convince your organization to invest in them, right the way through to how you activate them and manage them and when you decide to change them. All of those things really are fundamentally creative decisions which have not yet, as you said, not yet been possible by you know, technological automation. And I don't think they ever will be because of the context-based nature of those evaluations in those moments. And that's a good thing, I think, actually, because what that leads to, uh, back to your kind of evolutionary point, is that we come up with ideas that are genuinely evolutionary and they're not regressive. They're not just more efficient ways of doing the existing ideas. They're genuinely new ideas. And I think that's an important point, even with chat GPT or any of the other kind of algorithmic or uh, code-based solutions. They're only working with the inputs that they have. And I think humans are more constructive in that they have imaginations and they can think literally outside of the box. 
And that's what makes research essentially a human-driven process because it's coming up with ideas that at the very end of it, customers get excited about. And that is out there with art, music, drama, and writing in that you're coming up with something that, that doesn't exist right now. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. Now, let's step back for a minute, though, because I expect our listeners are all going, sure, yeah, all that makes sense. And, you know, we get the pragmatic realities of this need to to find the connection point between service and technology and enable that. But if we look at Uber, for example, right? I mean, there's been battles, I think, in the UK and certainly in the US as well around these broader ideas about the gig economy with Uber being kind of the tip of the spear on, you know, what does it mean for the traditional model of benefits, of taxation, of, you know, all of those things that are part of employment, but we kind of take it for granted, right? You're an employee and you get these things as part of your employment arrangement. However, in this freelancer gig economy, well, those things are different at every level. So taxation benefits, you know, planning for the future, those are no longer something that the employer provides. Those are now things that the individual must manage and, and deploy. And, you know, some schools of thought are, well, that's terrible, right? That's a, a step backward for the individual, for the employee. Others are, no, that's nirvana, right? Let, let me manage these things based on my own desires. What's your thinking on the role of platforms that are primarily connection points, they're enablers, the role of platforms in helping to develop solutions that can address those issues and concerns, because I think they're only going to get bigger. Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things that's really going for flexible working in market research, analytics, insight, is that the price points that flexible contingent workers, freelancers can command are actually really high and demand for them is also really high. And it's driven really by, you know, the shortage of full-time talent in a way. So it's certainly being used as a solution for a scarcity of full-time hiring, but also there's this you know, draw towards more flexible resourcing. So for me, I actually don't see the big issue around kind of welfare as a problem. I think that the people that we see on Savio, they're well-organized. Everyone on Savio is a company, so they keep good records, etc. And if you imagine... Broadly speaking, that as a kind of freelance worker, you're going to earn two to four times more than you would do if you were in a full-time role, then you can kind of put in place those, you know, those buffers that allow you to have a kind of off days, down days, you know, etc. I think the bigger issue that I certainly detect when I speak to people that have been doing, you know, flexible working practices for four, five, six, ten years is actually to do with belonging and community. And these are the things which obviously, you know, in-house teams, agencies, they can provide really well because they create a group and you're part of a group and you have a shared mission and you have, you know, shared experiences and, you know, you have those chats around the water fountain and the bar and, 
you know, the highs and the lows. And I think that's really one of the things that Savio is going to try and attend to is to make sure that it isn't like an Upwork and it isn't like an Uber where you're forever just on your own. And we have innovated some ideas around the concept of networks and client networks and supplier networks and networks of interest where people can find a community, find a group to be part of and get some of that sense of belonging that they might not otherwise get if they were freelancing in in a traditional setting or using some of the other platforms to find that sort of work where they really are kind of lone wolves. And I think that's such an important part of work and of life that we need to work towards that. But on the actual kind of like the, the financial welfare piece, I think until we get to you know, a very commoditized state, I don't think people are going to be grinding out the hours you know, to cover their costs because at the moment it's, you know, demand is up and people can command good, healthy fees. Now, you know, that's a great point around the, the community component of that. And I think you know, probably the pandemic brought that into focus. Definitely. And we saw a rapid shift as everything moved towards remote to build in that social element into the business to replace that. So I've worked from home for almost 20 years. I've been self-employed for over 20 years. So I tend to kind of take those things for granted because I know how to do it. So building that into that platform that connects, that, that's hugely important. And certainly something that we did not think about early on in developing Savio back in 2017, right? That concept. So hence why you are the CEO and leading that effort now. <laughs> I'm only responding to what people are asking me to do. Yeah, well, well, which is hence what, what we're supposed to do, right, as, as leaders. And it just has broader, the, the things that interest me always, I mean, I like building cool stuff that has pragmatic results, but the idea of where does this take us, right? What are the transformative elements of that longer term? And, you know, for me personally, I get really jazzed by anything that promotes opportunity for people. Right. To achieve their goals on their terms based on their needs and priorities. Right. So, it, again, during the pandemic, yes, all these things were, were happening that were perhaps negative, but I immediately thought this is really cool that we're decoupling work from location. Very cool. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. I mean, it gave people so much freedom, you know, to go and do other things. And we're still. You know, adapting to that, obviously, as a culture, but that idea of a future where folks can engage, not because they have to fit into one specific box, but, you know, like the, the old, what was the, you know, post-World War II, the Japanese model of the company man, right? Everybody was the company man. And I'm not disparaging that. You know, it, obviously, it worked really well. But now to a point of, of just driving flexibility and freedom and personal prioritization, I think that's an amazing thing. Yeah. And I think it's about allowing for people within the industry to go beyond a one size fits all. And certainly not about judging people. You know, we now have electric cars. We didn't used to have electric cars. Some people have them, some people don't. And we, you know, people migrate to things that they wanted that they didn't have before or couldn't get before. 
and uh, not everyone migrates at the same rate or you know not everybody wants to do what everybody else wants to do and i think that's the beauty really of when technology unlocks something like that is that it allows people to do what they wanted to do before but couldn't but it doesn't necessarily mean everyone's got to do that thing either and that's i think where we can live in a world where people can pursue different paths and people can do things you know differently and again it doesn't mean that people have to do things like that forever you know so some people may you know turn the volume up to 12 for a couple of years pay down some debt make some progress and then they might think you know what my time is now I'm going to focus outside of work I'm going to build a, a home I'm going to build a family I need a bit more security I'm going to slow down on the work front and come back into a more traditional setting and you know find a portfolio somewhere in there I think having that extra option you know both for employees and workers in the sector and also for clients you know, they will just like I experienced at Savanta you know that kind of portfolio of initiatives or activities that that client was doing some of them were on a platform some of them were, were through freelancers some of them were through agencies some of them were through really big agencies like Qualtrics and you know we were in that kind of muddle in that mix and I think allowing a more organized route to flexible workers just also enables those kind of buyers to you know, have that option to hand without some of the hassle and the difficulties and the risks that were associated with it historically. So it's allowing people who weren't necessarily you know, so far along that kind of risk-taking continuum, allowing people a little bit further back to go, oh, okay, I can try and do this project with someone on a flexible basis. I don't have to kind of you know, go right out there on a limb I can actually do it through something which looks and feels like a sensible, safe, reliable, reputable system. And I can get the benefits without taking as many of the perceived risks. Yeah, that's a great point too. All right, we talk a lot about, you know, being agile. Well, this enables that ability to experiment the lower risk profile across the board. So that's a great point. I want to be conscientious of your time as well as the listeners. So now you do get to pitch a little bit. So here is Savio in the process of coming to market and what can we expect to see over the course of the next few months related to the launch of this idea? Well, I thought I had been pitching. I won't turn it up too much. Savio's launched now. We have got a good stock of talent. I mean, that's been one of the most inspiring parts of this whole journey, really, is opening up the doors to vendors who want to work more flexibly, want to get access to buyers and meeting many, many of them on the way in. So as they sign up, they can kind of book some time with me if they want to. And I've met so many different types of people who've been so helpful, so supportive, so creative in their ideas and generous in their offers of time, their networks, their effort levels, and just you know, really feeling that kind of warm tailwind of support. And I guess that's kind of validated one of the founding assumptions, which was that, you know, there isn't one already. And actually, the people who have found Savio and wanted to be a success, you know, have almost wanted to be part of that success and have contributed to it. So we've got a great stock of talent. We'll continue to recruit more and we onboard probably around about 10 to 20 
vendors a week across individuals and micro agencies all over the world doing all sorts of things. And we are recruiting more and more buyers. And we don't want to make it into a big commitment for buyers. So we see a lot of people who come in, give it a go, try something. They put a brief out there. They see who responds. And obviously, a subset of those then go through and work their projects with who they find. What's been so great is that these early customers have actually become repeat customers, almost from the off. And that, again, that's a real validation that for those people, this is what they were looking for, and it's what they're going to do again quite quickly. And when you go into those jobs and you talk to both sides and you say, like, why was it good or why do you want to do it again or what was the best bit? They really just enjoyed working with each other. And that was the key thing that they really enjoyed their time together. And they felt like they got well rewarded for the interesting work that they got to do. And the buyer feels like they got really well served with a high level of service. But the project was shorter, probably less expensive. And they got from A to B quicker and more effectively. And so really, you know, going forwards, we want to just amp that up. You know, we want to spread the word, bring in more talent, bring in more buyers, get them to connect and just see more people making more connections that hopefully they're going to just continue onwards. And we're going to layer more and more of these relationships into the business and, and grow the business. That sounds good to me. So <laughs> it's great. And yeah, our listeners, I want to be, be clear. Yes, we have personal interest in this and okay, fine. But this trend of, we'll call it the gigification, right, of work. That's a good word. You like that one? All right, there we go. Gigification. Gigification. This is a trend that has impacted many other industries and has been going on for years. And it is a trend that is and will continue to impact the insights industry as we go as well. So, yes, we've tried to create a platform to help address that. Whether we succeed or fail is irrelevant. Well, it's relevant to Julian and I. But the point is that a solution must exist within the market to help enable this transformation for the industry. So it just so happens that we've invested to try and create that solution. But I challenge you as our audience to think about what that future state looks like regardless of how you're achieving it or who you're working with to enable this vision of gigification. Again, since Julian liked that term so much. Because it's here, it's happening, it's only going to grow. And we need to not just deal with it like it's a problem, but it's an opportunity. It truly is an opportunity to think about so many new things. What does it unlock? And I think that's the exciting part. Right. What's the long tail of opportunity and potential that comes with this change? Yeah. Well, there's so many things out there, but I think just to butt in on on and give my sort of two pence worth on that question, I think one of the things that this could give, and it's a real important part of my vision for this, is it could give very talented people, very motivated people a chance to own something game-changing. And, you know, I've always been slightly suspicious of things which are, you know, not changing because they don't like change or, you know, very traditional things. I don't want Savio to be, in the end, you know, 
a funky, cool business with a very traditional capital base with, you know, VCs and everyone kind of like valuing it like a piece of meat almost, you know. I think that one of the big yields that comes out of Savio is its potential value as a business. I would ideally want that shared amongst the talent that's making it go round. And one of the things that flexible workers don't have, you mentioned it, Lenny, was, is, you know, access to, you know, great pensions, like no one else is contributing to their pension apart from themselves. And often if you've been doing it quite a long time, you think, well, what next? I can't scale beyond myself, but I don't want to become a business. I don't want to become an agency. That was the whole point. So one of my goals is is to try to make it possible for productive, ambitious, creative, like-minded, talented individuals to become the owners of Savio in the end. And I think their knowledge, their effort, their networks, their ideas are more powerful than mine. And it's actually them doing the work. So if they can do the work and also own the company and get the spoils of the growth, then that becomes like the biggest gift I could give back to the sector. And I could not agree more. Love, 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 love that. And listeners, now you know why I consider Julian a very special guest. Not just because we are working on this together, but that type of thinking, that fresh thinking about what does the future look like, We all need to to engage in that. So thank God for you, Julian, and people like you that are thinking about things in a new way. Thanks to people like you and your podcast. (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. That's the easy part. I just get to sit here and BS. You're actually doing the real work. So I appreciate that. (laughs) And here's the part of the podcast where, again, we get into blowing smoke. But we'll wind down now. So any final thoughts that you want to share with the audience? Well, only that. I'm all ears for all ideas. That actually rhymes. And so if any of the listeners have an idea, they've got a bit of feedback, suggestion, just go to savio.pro, find one of the emails there, the contact forms, whoever, whatever. I'd love to hear from people. It's very much an open loop type of organization, as you know, Lenny. And if people have you know, good ideas, thoughts, ways that we can make this happen, I would absolutely love to hear them and try and get them into the plan. Great. Thank you. Folks, you heard it here. Reach out and bug him. So he wants you to. (laughs) All right. So with that, thank you, Julian. Really appreciate it. Great conversation. I am 100% certain that we will have you back on the podcast periodically to talk about this evolutionary shift in the insights industry. Until then, want to give a big shout out. Thanks always to our producer, Natalie, our editor, James, to any of our sponsors, and most of all to you, our listeners, because without you, this would just be Julia and I just sitting here and BSing without any real purpose other than the point of BSing. So at least now it gives us more of a focus for that process, and we appreciate it. So that's it for now. Thank you for tuning into this edition of the Green Book Podcast. We will be back again soon with another incredibly interesting and engaging episode. Be well. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Join Greenbook for the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange. This global conference series, also known as IIEX, is where connections are made, inspiration is found, and innovative solutions are discovered. 
with more than 90% of attendees using IIEX Insights to shape strategic business decisions, the return on investment is undeniable. Whether you're in Asia-Pacific, North America, Europe, or Latin America, IIEX is your gateway to the latest market research best practices, tech innovation, and strategies for transforming insights into action. Nurture your career and business with insights from across the globe. And here's a bonus. Use the special code PODCAST to save 20% on general admission for all IIEX events. Visit greenbook.org events today to learn more and register. See you there.